a brand new episode of the Retail Podcast by Virod AI, your go-to destination for the latest in AI and retail. The sports retail landscape has been seeing so much in the last decade. The fitness sector exploded, wearable technology became a reality, and athleisure caught on. Fitness turned into a lifestyle, and sportswear went from being something you only wore on courts, fields, and gyms to becoming a wardrobe staple that isn't going away anytime soon. The 177 billion global sportswear industry has seen the innovation for decades and brands have had to keep up in order to be successful. One such brand that's embodied the spirit of innovation and built it val sorry, I'm just gonna repeat that. One such brand that's embodied the spirit of innovation and built its values around it is Puma. One of the youngest players in the sportswear industry in India, Puma has managed to disrupt the Indian market with its unconventional marketing strategies, strong brand voice, and digital-first customer-centric approach. Um, differentiating themselves from their competitors as a style and leisure sportswear company, they firmly established themselves as the go-to brand for stylish Indian youth. I'm very excited to be in conversation with Shreya Sachdev, Head of Marketing and Strategy Initiatives at Puma India, and talk to her about the brand's unparalleled success and all the ways Puma is shaking up the sportswear market. Welcome, Shreya, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, happy to be here. Amazing. So, um, Shreya, let's talk a little bit about, you know, Puma India and the success story, because um, Puma India launched in, um, I'm sorry, Puma launched in India long after their competitors, and yet today the brand is one of the leading sport lifestyle brands upstaging its direct rivals in India with many offline stores and a very undeniably strong online presence. So tell us about what propelled the brand to success. Sure. So I think um, this is definitely one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, and when I was also, you know, um, evaluating where next, I think um, finding out about the Puma story and, um, you know, how we got where we are now was extremely inspiring for me as well. Uh, for someone on the outside, I think uh, now on the inside, um, I think looking at the people and the culture and the way, um, you know, like the passion with which we come to work every day, I think it's a testament to, to where we are. Um, but I think, you know, um, like you said, we entered the market probably 10 years later than our competitors. Um, we started in 2006 with literally nothing right uh, we didn't have a single store to our name we we had no revenue and i think in just eight years we sort of uh you know propelled to becoming the number one brand in india um and not many people uh you know know this but um i think india is the only country where puma is number one uh, right globally i think we we're largely number three so i think um you know we we pretty much you know Everybody who was part of that team pretty much gave it their blood, their sweat. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of them still continue to work here. I think Puma is a tough place to sort of leave behind. Um, and I think they, they still continue with the same passion and like, um, you know, the, the, the same, uh, I think, uh, you know, um, I would say, you know, need to sort of disrupt and, and go further. Um, I think, uh, you know, this is something that uh, everybody, I think, in Puma embodies, which is basically, you know, what's brought us here will not take us further, right? And you constantly need to keep changing the game. You need to keep doing things differently. Um, and I think that's that's probably, I would say, the bedrock of of where we are and uh, where we've gotten. Um, I think we we took risks 
we took a lot of them and we took them at the right time when other people weren't doing them uh, because we realized that if you entered the market 10 years later you need to do something drastically different right uh, to be on top so you know while others were still you know sort of toying with the franchisee model and sort of uh, you know not wanting to to sort of invest a lot of capital we said you know what we'll just invest in our own stores right um and ensure that we pretty much own the cust- customer experience end to end right uh, similarly i think we were one of the first few brands to sort of start an online presence um uh, we were the first few brands to start uh, listing on platforms um you know at a time when uh, people said hey you know what you'll pretty much devalue your own brand proposition if you go on like a discount like platform and i think we've successfully managed a very strong uh, segmented approach that has ensured that we don't cannibalize um our brand in any way uh, but we've still you know managed to create a large uh, i would say um you know revenue um a channel with with platforms as well so i think definitely taking a lot of risks um doing things differently constantly innovating um i think even when it comes to marketing we we pretty much uh, retired the traditional marketing approach um you know way way back i think we decided to go digital first um, in the early days when people were still doing billboards and tvcs and we said you know what this is not where our audience is right our audience is now online um and we need to invest money where our audience is so we we pretty much you know we've not done any billboards we've not done any um uh, you know physical branding we've not done any pvcs or any sort of traditional advertising for years now um and i think it's worked brilliantly for us uh, because we've pretty much invested money where um we would actually get the roi um and and that's shown um i think you know even when it comes to uh, you know the customer experience i think um we you know about 2 years ago we opened our first experiential store in in bangalore and since then we've expanded to other cities as well um and that was a digital first experience as well i think you know we're increasingly realizing that with the advent of online shopping um it's not like offline retail is dead um i think we have like 350 stores uh that say otherwise um but uh it's more about i think people are now going to come offline if they want an experience right because it's not like with the advent of online shopping people are going to stop stepping out of the house um it's just that what they what they look for or, or look forward to when they step out is very different than just a um i think utility based shopping experience um and so you know we we took the plunge and again in a country where people said hey you know what um these are very value conscious shoppers right so so nobody cares about fancy experiences uh, they just care about price points um and i think again our stores uh, post renovation uh, post turning into experiential stores have done brilliantly well as well which is again a testament to the fact that um i think when you take risks it it shows um and i think uh you know i would say the third thing that probably differentiates us from um i think any company out there is really it just boils down to the people i think because um i don't think you would ever see as passionate a set of people as you do here um and it it shows in in results right i think we've managed to build a very very strong culture where um you know we've we have an extremely diverse set of people um i think we are uh, you know gender ratio is extremely strong our ratio of um you know people who come from 
retail backgrounds versus design backgrounds versus B schools. I think that that's an extremely diverse and stable ratio as well. Uh, people who've been in the organization for really, really long from day one in 2006, literally built it from the ground up. Uh, and then people like me who probably, you know, just joined uh, this team two, two and a half years back. Um, and I think it's, it's probably a testament to the culture that we've created that, you know, the, all of these diverse sets of people work so beautifully together without any friction or, um, you know, any disconnect, because I think at the bottom of it, we're all just extremely passionate about what we do. Um, and we feel very strongly about the brand and what we've accomplished so far and um, what we want to accomplish further. And I think that just makes all of the difference because um, even when you're in a tough year, right, in 2020, when, um, you know, the chips were down and everybody said, hey, you know what, um, offline retail companies are dead, uh, non-essential uh, companies are dead, um, you're not going to be, I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to manage to sort of, uh, you know, salvage this. I think um, it's really a testament to how we worked. You know, we didn't have to lay off a single person, um, but everybody just found new ways of making this work. Um, and, you know, we, I, we had organization wide, um, uh, you know, innovation uh, meetings where we said, hey, you know, what can we do to really, you know, uh, change the game? What will it take to to do things differently and get through this, right? So for example, one of the things that we started was Puma on the move where uh, we said, okay, fine, if people are not coming to our stores, we'll get our stores to you, right? Um, and unlike, uh, you know, just simply making it a very basic, um, you know, pop-up store, we, we really went whole hog, right? So we had, um, you know, engagements, we, we were sort of, we set up a huge setup where, um, you know, we were organizing matches for children. We had, uh, you know, interactive setups. We, we basically did the whole hog and we, we went from it being a basic pop-up store or, a, or you know, a, a shopping um, a stall to, to pretty much a carnival, right? Um, everywhere we went. And again, I think that uh, that was one of the things that really, um, you know, helped us tide through. Um, and I think, you know, it's at the end of the day, if you have a bunch of really passionate, really diverse people who are coming together and, um, you know, coming to work every day and saying, okay, what can we do better? How can we sort of grow this business? How, what can we do differently? I think um, it's really a testament to, to the growth numbers that you see year on year. Absolutely. And I also think, you know, you pointed out so many um, core values, I think, right together. One is, of course, just um, the innovation and how important it is to continuously disrupt in a market that's already got so much going on all the time, especially with competitors. And uh, of course, the growing audience, changing audience and their consumption patterns and everything. Um, and I actually wanted to talk about something which you touched upon, which was customer experience, right? Um, and experiential retail specifically. Uh, I think over the world and across the globe, we've been seeing um, different brands really experiment with this whole concept of experiential retail, because obviously it's not just enough to, um, you know, let your customer shop online and just place an order and just have them have, you know, have it delivered to them. They want to be able to come and experience the value of the brand, what it feels like to try products on, even small things like just, you know, the lighting at the store or how it's kind of designed, how it's merchandised makes a huge difference in buying into the brand. So I, um, you know, I thought you could kind of delve into some of the exciting things within the experiential retail concepts that you uh, had launched in the past few years and how, um, 
how have people responded to it and how has that changed or uh, increased you know things like brand loyalty or people wanting to come back to the store more sure um so i think you know um, we of course have different sort of setups in different stores but i think some of the things that um have worked really well for us is you know we have a customization machine at store so uh, you buy your product you can sort of you know do a, put your name on it or or um you know get artistic and creative and create something that's very unique to you um we have the f1 simulator so motorsport for example is one of our um you know probably best selling views um i think we've seen a lot of loyalty from customers who come and buy our motorsport products um and the f1 simulator is you know just probably an add on where um you know one is saying uh, hey it's not just about um the motorsport products you can actually experience you know uh, what it is like to really race um so we we have an f1 simulator at store i think the store setup um is extremely digital first so i think we have a bunch of screens everywhere that um you know we use to to showcase our brand campaigns or um you know uh, you know influencer content that we do or or you know um, any videos that we we create for launches within the season um i think our setup within store is probably one of the most uh, i would say aspirational or um you know uh, very very unique uh, whether it's you know a, a specific collection or um you know something that we set up during ipl time i think um it's enough to make a consumer sort of get excited and walk into the store so if we're launching a product like a rider right which is a throwback to the 80s um the entire store facade sort of uh, gets turns and in, turn into this like colorful 80s um vibe right um i think the the store itself the 100 feet store in bangalore for example has a completely glass uh, facade uh, it's shaped like a dome and and it's basically structured in a way that reflects light really beautifully so i think everything from the architecture to to the digital you know touch points that we have in store has been designed i mean i'm literally if we go to the point of which scent works best for the store uh, which music would um you know our users or pe- people who are puma consumers actually identify with um what is like you said the lighting um in rooms right so if you're going to a trial room you want the lighting to be good but you also want it to be strong enough to actually see the product well and see yourself well right so literally going down to the finer points the minute details to be able to um really create this experience right so you, it's not just about going into the store shopping and coming back you can roam around there are enough you know couches for you to sort of sit and um be comfortable there are huge mirrors so you can wear your products you can come out you can you know parade them you can you can feel comfortable i think the idea is um really to tell a consumer that look if you want to just buy one of my products you can do that online as well right and um i think we've cracked the value chain online with like 48 hour delivery and easy returns and um you know uh, easy refunds and so um i think for a consumer to step out and walk into a store you need to offer them something very different right so i think um all of these small small elements then add up to an extremely you know experiential um uh, setup uh, and i think of course the the 
the element that ties it all together is the store staff, right? So I think um, ask any regular Puma customer and they'll tell you that we've not seen store staff like this anywhere else, right? Um, and I think we're extremely particular about who we hire, uh, how we train them, uh, how they interact with consumers. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we see very often customers who will either post on LinkedIn or send us long email saying, hey, you know what, please promote so-and-so store staff because he did a brilliant job. Um, and I think uh, it's great to have an experiential store. And it obviously, I think we've seen footfalls probably double. We've seen revenues double, triple after, you know, uh, renovations. But none of that would have been possible if you didn't have a team that made people um, feel extremely comfortable and welcome and went out of their way to sort of solve for anything, right? So, um, okay, fine. We don't have a product in store. Uh, we have something called Endless Isle where you can just shop in store on Puma.com and we'll sort of, you know, do the you know, placing the order for you. So, um, you know, you don't have any issue or if, you know, I'm, I'm in a mall where I know that in a store, probably in the mall right next to me is the product that you're looking for. Hang on five minutes. I'm going to go run and get it. Or, um, or, you know what, um, even if it's not there in store right now, but it's going to come next week, I will ship it to your house. Right. Um, so I think I think at the end of it, if you if you don't feel extremely welcome and comfortable and you don't feel like somebody is going out of the way to to solve for what you need solve for that, that's obviously no no amount of experiential elements are, are going to solve for that. So I think um, I would say that's probably the bedrock or the cornerstone of any experiential store. And then, of course, um, the attention to detail and, and finding elements that go beyond just a generic shopping experience, I think always um, adds to customer experience. Absolutely. And I really like the point you added there about, uh, you know, the balance between, I think, convenience and experience, because like you said, it's not hard for anyone to go online and buy something from the store, but it's that association they have with the store and how, um, you know, that journey influences them. And I think things like, um, you know, like you said, all the ephemeral experiences, like the scent, the light, all of that really adds to the whole experience. And of course, uh, the heart of this seems to be the people at Puma itself, how well they train and how well they know the product. So I think, um, I think that is, uh, that does look like, you know, one of the strongest um, factors in, in kind of buying into the, in, I mean, in, uh, the customers buying into the brand itself. So I think that's, really important. And I think the other part of innovation that I kind of wanted to tap into, um, you know, uh, was, I know you've been responsible for spearheading the Puma Labs initiative and, you know, incubators have become such a key part of business innovation. And given Puma's always promoted this culture of innovation and disruption, um, I'd love for you to take us through some of the initiatives you're doing there. How is that driving, you know, uh, the future thinking of the brand? And how is it also impacting things like supply chain and your retail and e-commerce strategies. Yeah. Sorry, can I just ask, when you say Puma Labs, do you mean uh, the Catalyst initiative? Uh, I'm a little unsure of what you mean by Puma yeah, Labs. I, yeah, I think we had read up that you were uh, you were looking at, you were overlooking the Puma Labs Catalyst. I think it was the Catalyst initiative. Catalyst, Catalyst, right. Um, so I think this is one of the first things that I um, sort of kicked off uh, when I joined, um, you know, as a strategy head uh, way back in 2019. Um, I think the, the goal was really simple. I think uh, the idea was, um, you know, usually in, in a normal situation, innovation is typically limited 
it to a small set of people and typically those people are uh, much more senior in the organization right but i think the downside of that is always that people on ground have probably the most check on reality and what would work and what would not work they also have a the most understanding on what the actual gaps are from a consumer point of view right because at the end of the day we're not the ones on the shop floor or uh, in the warehouse every day right it's it's the people on ground who who probably have the most um, you know accurate sense of what needs to be fixed and how it can be fixed so i think the idea of um, you know launching an innovation challenge was very simply to say hey we know that you have a bunch of ideas um, we know that there are a bunch of things that you see every day that you think should be fixed um, and you know we just want to open this out to everybody in the organization um, and say hey if you have an idea if you have something that you think will fundamentally uh create a shift either in terms of an additional revenue stream or um you know uh, in terms of uh, bottom line and making uh you know additional ebit um or uh you know just find a way to do something better a process that needs fixing um uh, you know uh, lay it on us and let's go through it um and and let's you know put it into motion so i think that was the idea um the way it worked was uh people basically form these cross functional teams because of course if you're doing something that's innovation led it it probably won't be successful in a silo um and so they they formed cross functional teams and um you know they they sort of created this b plan uh, to say where um you know they put together um what the challenge was what they were proposing um you know wh- what was the pnl behind it uh, what were the timelines and the stakeholders and what they would need to make this happen um and i think we saw like 60 or 70% of the organization participate which we didn't expect um but i think um, it was you know it was done in a very large scale way it was um, exciting uh, people had all of these ideas in their head that they really wanted to you know bring to fruition um and so people formed cross functional teams i think at the end of it we shortlisted we we said we would shortlist maybe three or four ideas um but then there there were so many good ideas that we ended up shortlisting 12 um and we put those into motion i think some of them are still sort of you know they were longer term 2 3 year uh plans and of course um, some of them in the middle we deprioritized uh, during the covid period right but um i think they they stretch across the board right there were like additional revenue streams there were um stuff around data and analytics uh, there was stuff around the warehouse and supply chain there was stuff around automation and digitization so i think it just it was across the board it was across the value chain um and i think people who worked on these problems day in and day out probably had the best sense of how to crack them um and so we we put this into motion each team was given a mentor so basically one person from the leadership team was allocated to them as a mentor and the idea was basically either you need somebody to sort of step back and give it an unbiased look and say um you know give you some guidance and say this will work or this will not work or you need somebody who's doing some amount of de bottlenecking support for you right so it's somebody senior who who can make things happen um and of course when uh, you allocate something to somebody in the leadership and say um hey you are as responsible for this success as the team that's 
working on it um that sense of ownership of course leads to uh, you know a much greater impact um and so i think you know that's how we worked and and a lot of these we've already gone ahead and implemented um you know some were like literally entirely new product approach which again takes about 8 to 9 months but we went ahead and implemented that um you know some was like again complete rehaul of the supply chain and and creating like completely interlocked systems for you know every stakeholder in the system to be on the same plane and i think we've implemented that as well so i think it was um it was something that um i think we kicked off with a with a huge ambition um and we actually saw people sort of uh, go ahead and and bring it to life so i think it was it was an extremely interesting exercise we did a similar one during covid as well um where we basically um you know went around the organization we said hey you know um what is it in terms of your work stream that you think could fundamentally fundamentally um make a huge difference given that here are the challenges that you're facing right um and again we we sort of had a list about some 40 50 ideas which we then probably whittled down to about 20 um went ahead and implemented this uh, puma on the move for example was one of the ideas that that came through that so i think the uh, the entire concept was um and still is that at least once a year it's important for us to step back um and reevaluate if what we're doing uh really makes sense right and this is something that i've said um to a lot of people about puma i think puma is a is a company that is in a constant state of flux right um i don't think we are ever we we ever come into work and say okay now for the six, next six months we know what we're doing right um i think plans change in a jiffy um we we come we go back and forth on things sometimes that that we set out to do and i honestly think that's that's great because while of course it leads to a lot of um i would say instability i do think that um companies that are agile enough to constantly adapt are the ones that actually um are able to survive and disrupt and uh, you know constantly do better um and so you know i i was telling somebody else i, I think at some interview somebody asked me so what's a typical day at puma and i said there are no typical days at puma right every day is completely different you don't know what you're stepping into you don't know what you're going to face um um you know it's absolute madness because i think we always want to be ahead of the curve right and we're always questioning the status quo and saying what can we do differently um and i think you know things like catalyst or um you know what we did last year in terms of the you know the innovation um exercise is just you know pretty much that i think we don't want to take anything for granted for even a second i think we we constantly want to up our game i think that's what it boils down to yeah absolutely and what i see across everything as a common theme is just really innovation being ahead of the curve right that just seems to be the constant motto when every other part of it uh, could consistently be changing but i think the goal of um being ahead and being also a little fresh and new as much as possible for evolving consumers seems to be a focus um and you know that kind of leads me also to another big part of innovation um you know which is marketing innovation right i remember we talked about it a little bit early when we chat for the first time but um given that there are so many new channels today even in comparison to a decade ago there's so much um noise i guess everywhere and consumers are exposed to constantly too many things and there's also almost a sense of i think um 
you know, uh, consumers feel a bit overwhelmed because of the number of things that are kind of shoved on them, either through social media or whatever channels they're looking at. But uh, in spite of all of these new developments, um, like you said, Puma has always managed to stay on the top, right? And uh, you also talking about how you were doing certain things or you kind of leapt after certain strategies when people were not looking at it. So can you take us through... Um, you know, some of the exciting things you did from a marketing innovation perspective. I know you said it was very data-led, very digital first. So we'd love to know um, what were some of the things I think that put you ahead of, of other uh, competitors in the space. Sure. So I think, um, you know, we, we realized pretty early on, like I said, that our consumer was online, right? Um, Puma is a young brand. It is a, you know, a sort of a brand for people who are in the know, who are, who are savvy, who are new age. And I think we realized that, hey, you know what, um, traditional marketing of putting up a billboard somewhere with your logo and hoping that that will convert to tangible sales, uh, that time is gone, right? Um, and so I think we, we, we took that risk uh, at a time when, um, you know, nobody else was doing this. So, uh, and, you know, people were still sort of relying a lot on um, physical offline branding and, um, you know, spending a lot of uh, money on, um, you know, billboards and out of home media. And I think we just, we completely cut that channel off. Um, I think the idea was uh, very clearly um, that uh, we need to be where our consumer is, which is on social platforms. Um, and we completely shifted to that, right? So I think, um, for example, all of the campaigns that we've launched um, in the past few years have completely been digital, right? You, you will not see billboards or anything um, around those campaigns. I think we, um, everything has been digital first, social first. Um, I think we've we launched our Instagram page also a couple of years ago. Um, you know, we were again one of the first brands in that category to do it. Um, and I think again we took that risk because we said, hey, if our consumer is spending so much time on social, then it's stupid not to have a presence there, right? Um, and so we work very hard at cultivating this extremely engaged base of um, you know this of followers who uh, you know who. Uh, for whom we put out um, a lot of content that is extremely unique and, um, like I said, engagement first rather than just us talking to them. Um, we also invested a lot in uh, marketing automation and whether it's through Adobe or, um, you know, Google or just uh, basically ensuring that uh, it's not just about the consumer that we have captive, but how do we also reach out to other consumers uh, where they exist, right? So um, we started off with digital marketing also pretty early on, um, you know, when it was still extremely nascent and ROI hadn't been established. Um, we sort of took to it and we said, we'll experiment with this and we'll see how it goes. Now, of course, I think uh, we drive a significant chunk of revenue through digital marketing, um, you know, at Puma. Um, I think so. I think overall, the strategy has very much been, um, like you said, it's been digital first. We've, we've sort of always stepped back and said, um, let's not do what everyone else is doing. Let's very rationally look at who our consumer is, where they are, what they want to hear from us, um, and then go ahead with how we sort of do marketing, right? And um, same, uh, you know, concept, uh, you know, uh, applies to all of the campaigns that we do as well. Um, I think what what we've realized is that, um, like you said, there's a lot of noise, right? It's ironic that people are 
constantly consuming content but at the same time there's just so much of it that um they have the choice not to engage with you right so you have to create content that is disruptive you have to create content that is interesting that constantly ups the bar um and at the end of the day you have to question what value that content is adding to your consumer right so um is it entertainment is it education is it um are you evoking a certain sort of emotion with the consumer that that you're talking to right so what is it really that you're content is accomplishing and if the idea, if if the answer is nothing then um you're just adding to the noise right and and nobody's going to remember you or give you a second glance right so even if it's something like the proper lady campaign i think the reason why it went so organically viral was because i think it touched a chord somewhere uh, with indian women right i think as a whole i think as indian women we're just um tired of being told that we need to be empowered um and i think you know the fact that somebody was coming out there and saying hey you know what we are not anybody to tell you that you are empowered you you already are and we're just here to celebrate the fact that despite all of the challenges that you face you sort of go out there and you kill it day on day and i think that really touched a chord um so i think uh, it's it's really about like i said constantly stepping back and saying okay fine we've been doing something so far but um is this the way to go or do we need to change it now right and and we've said this before also we once we've done something we won't necessarily do it again or if we do it again we won't do it the same way right because that's the only way to ensure that um a user is able to sort of step back and um appreciate what you put out there and see value in it um rather than just like this other colorful uh you know image on their feed that they scroll past at the end of the day and instantly forget right so i think um that's really how we have always and will continue to approach marketing yeah absolutely i think that's um you know that's overall um i feel like that approach is probably the only thing that works because when you see content today from a lot of brands like you said the content um doesn't always add value sometimes it's quite meaningless or it's just yet another list of things you have to read or it's just something you're blindly consuming without really being impacted or feeling anything and even if you take uh, even if i look at how i consume personally on a personal level when i'm looking at brands on instagram the ones that really impact me are the ones that have content that in some way even in the smallest way resonate with me and um, you know for for a company so big to consistently have like even the kind of i think the people that you pick as your uh, you know influencers and brand ambassadors and stuff i think that has also been something that's been a large part of the marketing strategy as well so i i think people are noticing that consistently and they those are some of the few things that help them stick with the brand as well uh, people who actually embody the exact same values of puma that way you know they're able to stick with the brand um you know this kind of brings me almost to my last question uh we talked a lot about you know the consumer experience what the experiential store is like um, you know how you have to build content or a marketing strategy for the consumer and i think one another piece that's very important and related to the consumer is um how they're shopping when they're shopping online and you know um how relevant the product line is to them and the pieces are to them um and you know whether it's in terms of whatever the fit the sizing how convenient it is to their daily lifestyle all of that but obviously to be able to do that consistently and get the data 
um, you do need some form of technology right now uh, to be able to scale these experiences. So is there any interesting um, uh, technology that Puma is kind of leveraging to build more convenient ways of shopping or to understand your consumers better? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, like you said, online shopping, the fact is that um, you don't have uh, direct access to the consumer. And so there is no way that you can direct their purchase journey in any way. You have to hope that when they land on your site, it's so user-friendly and intuitive that they are able to find what they want and the funnel from awareness to conversion actually happens, right? Um, if that has to happen, I think, um, one is, of course, like you said, data, right? Just keep mining data. And that's something that we do very regularly. Um, we look at literally for, you know, every homepage banner that we put out there or every post that we put on social and then we redirect to uh, puma.com. Um, I think there is an exhaustive weekly exercise that we do where we just look at that data and we say, um, hey, this is what's working. This is what's not working. This is what people want more of. This is what people want less of, right? Um, and then of course, um, you know, you can slice and dice the data down to like, you know, 20,000 permutation combinations if needed. Um, here are the geographies where my audiences are coming from. Here is how people in the North shop. Here is how people in the West shop. So for example, you know, data led us to say, hey, we need a bunch of uh, satellite warehouses in a, in a lot of cities, right? So just one mother warehouse is not enough to to satisfy demand because we're seeing pockets from ABC areas and you do need a satellite um, you know, uh, a warehouse to be able to fulfill demand and meet that 48 hour uh, delivery timeline, right? So I think um, it's, a, it's an iterative process. Every week you look at the data, every week you say, um, uh, you know, this is what's working well. This is not, this is what is not working well. This is what is turning out to be a consistent trend and we must do something to capitalize on it. Um, and that's really how we operate. So even from a marketing standpoint, for example, um, you know, we, we've invested a lot in making the, the site extremely intuitive for people, right? So um, if, for example, I'm launching a uh, Karina into Puma yoga collection, then my homepage banner also needs to have Karina as soon as somebody lands on it, right? Because it's not just enough to talk about it on social. How do I convert that awareness to purchase intent? I have to ensure that the second they land on the page at the time when there is so much hype, that's the first thing they see, right? And then when you go into the, um, you know, into the collection page, there's of course enough content to educate you on the collection and what the benefits are, right? So typically with every product launch that we do on social, we mirror it on Puma.com as well, right? So if I'm posting something with Karina on social, there will be a like a landing page dedicated on Puma.com where you can also see that content, right? Because at the end of the day, I have a huge captive audience that comes to Puma.com every day, right? Um, and I would want to engage with them the same way that I engage with my audience on social. So ensuring that, um, you know, there is enough imagery. Uh, we have sections completely dedicated to, um, you know, how everyday consumers wear our products, right? Because I think that's something we're increasingly realizing that uh, people need to see how to wear a product before being convinced that they need to buy it, right? So um, enough content for you to say, hey, okay, if I buy this, like, bright pink shoe, which looks like 
um it's not a very versatile piece uh, but hey here is how 10 other people have styled it right and it's right there on the product page while you're looking at it so um you know it tells you okay fine if I, if i buy this product i know i, I mean at least i have 10 looks sorted right um sizing and fit instructions how, how can we make that you know intuitive enough uh, for the user to to not get confused because i think one of the biggest reasons for high returns are always that the size or the fit is different from what um you know i saw on the website and so getting that right becomes super critical to the process as well um extremely easy checkout again super critical because you would want to limit the number of steps um you know that um uh, a user has to make once they land on your site and until they check out right so i think um and of course we have uh, you know the sfcc platform on which we are constantly making upgrades um because the idea is uh, you know you have to consistently improve on your experience for people to want to come back again and again um and so you know constant tweaks even if it's something as simple as saying hey you know what we've been seeing a lot of traction for this particular type of product um so why don't i just completely call it out separately and have it rest on the navigation bar itself right so you don't have to search for it the second you reach the navigation bar you will see you know like a curation of those those products right that we're seeing a lot of traction for um so for example uh, during lockdown interestingly we saw um you know traction for running um running products go up um a huge chunk right so even on puma.com even um i think google trends everywhere i think we saw people were taking to running because i guess they couldn't go to gyms um and they were sort of looking at running outdoors or even within their compound as sort of a proxy for that workout right so making sure that you have um for anybody who lands before they even search for running on the navigation bar there is something there that says hey you're looking for running shoes let me help you find the pair that is perfectly suited to you right um and and you go into the page and you see enough options in terms of are you using these shoes for walking are you using them for short bursts um, of running are you like a marathon of and each person has you know sort of a different criteria of what kind of shoes they would want and how they would shop for them um what are your you know like price point preferences and let me show you then products within those price point preferences right so i think it's just about um constantly keeping a tab on what is the pulse what are the trends that um you know consumers are sort of um veering towards and then very quickly making adaptations to your experience to sort of solve for them um i think that's uh, really how you need to to approach this absolutely and i also think there's like you pointed out there's so many layers to this right this is not just one thing every piece of the puzzle from the external touch point all the way to um the cart and beyond uh, has to be so well connected and so well thought of right you can't also just look at a uh, consumer experience as ending off at the cart it's also about mm-hmm. how do you engage with them uh, later either on emails Correct. or back in some sort of form and they all also have to be connected online and offline in that what they see on the st- has to be mirrored at the Correct. showroom absolutely there's so many pieces i think to um the whole brand story that's very complex today and i feel like that's what brands kind of struggle with in terms of trying to uh, be able to nail the customer experience each time but obviously puma has done you know a fantastic job and i think uh, it all goes back to that whole innovation first culture to be able to think of okay what are all the 100 things that we can do that uh 
it might fail it might not but we have to try it i think that mentality yeah. itself is so important um you know going forward but i think that kind of brings us to uh, the end of our podcast before i uh, completely let you go i wanted to just quickly understand whether any interesting um trends or uh you know specific product categories that did much better during the pandemic because i know people were switching more to like track pants and more casual yeah. active wear so this that must have also been you know a lot of um excitement in terms of just the traffic to the site so was there anything that you guys um so i think we saw some very interesting shifts i think because people were indoors more i think the first thing that we saw was that our apparel category grew um and um you know our clothes footwear category of course dropped right and traditionally we are a sneaker brand so clothes footwear contributes a large chunk to our uh, revenue but it was extremely interesting to see that um apparel just jumped uh, you know because i think the what people were realizing was now even stuff like zoom calls um you know and work from home uh, they needed some good quality apparel that wasn't that formal shirt uh, but still looked good and they could wear with their video on um and so i think we saw a huge jump in apparel we saw a huge jump in very comfortable loungewear so i think that's one of the things uh, um during covid that we then you know sort of curated and put together and sent out to our audiences whether it was on social or whether restaurantpuma.com saying hey we've got you covered in terms of loungewear right so even if it's a zoom call even if it's just chilling at home and you want good quality comfortable products um that are not your you know stuffy shirts um and pants um we've got you right i think the second thing that we saw was um open toed footwear um saw a huge spike right? because if you're staying at home you want like comfortable slippers that you can uh, walk around in all day and i think what was interesting to us was even in um sort of categories like open footwear which is not a um a huge price point or uh, you know something that people would typically spend a lot of money on i think what was interesting was that um it was our premium range of footwear that was actually getting sold out right so it was extremely interesting to see that even if you're sitting at home um and you want a pair of like sliders to be comfortable in you would rather spend a bit more and get a very nice good quality comfortable pair rather than stinge on it and you know say hey this is just an essential like a uh, small purchase i just i'll just filter by price and i'd buy the cheapest one right so i think um that was something that was extremely interesting to us um i think what was also interesting was um the fact that um once sort of you know covid started easing and lockdown restrictions eased um we saw the categories that had seen a degrowth like uh, um, closed footwear for example once again jump right so it was so clear that these trends were very much related to how people were actually living their lives in the moment and if you had started stepping out again automatically we saw clothes footwear sort of take a jump right versus during that 2 3 month lockdown period when people were at home and like apparel just soared and um open toed footwear just soared right so i think um it was quite interesting to see that um the sales and product trends almost instantly mirror uh, the situation that the consumer right there is in there is no lag time between um, you know what they're experiencing and how that translates to their shopping behavior so um, it was quite interesting to see i think of course goes without saying that um, e-commerce saw like a exponential growth um, and this growth is not something that has slowed down so even though you know we've gotten traffic back to our retail stores and they're up and they're running and they're doing well 
e-commerce hasn't suffered right so the the growth in e-commerce and i think what we saw probably was um puma consumers coming online for the first time because their stores in their neighborhood were shut right and uh, they've not gone back so while i still have traffic in my retail stores and people are still coming and shopping it doesn't mean that they've um sort of abandoned e-commerce right and so i think um the takeaway is very clearly that e-commerce is here to stay right it wasn't like a one time spike where because people couldn't step out they decided to go online and now trends have reversed um i think we have seen uh, you know similar growth rates in e-commerce ever since and so i think um extremely interesting and happening for us that um we have not seen any sort of degrowth in e-commerce now that offline retail has picked up again yeah i think it's it's very fascinating it's um you know just the um, i i think again it keeps going back to there's so many new things we continue to learn about the consumer and it's all about how quickly i think the brand adapts to uh constantly changing retail scenarios right mm-hmm. um this kind of i think brings us to the end of our podcast treya so thank you so much for being on it i think we learned a thank lot you. about and um you know i i think it was very interesting for us to also um just on a on a podcast for us to learn about how a brand approaches innovation in today's retail scenario because i think that's very important for other brands who are listening um to realize that it's not just about putting things out there it's about being very thoughtful about every single piece of uh content or or campaign anything that we put out it has to really be thoughtful so thank you so much um thanks again. my pleasure for more information and more podcasts on topics like this please log into view.ai and check out our resources section you'll be able to hear the stories of multiple brands across the globe telling um talking about their success and their definition of what retail is today thank you so much and we'll see you soon bye